If you have uh, the LifePoint app, let me encourage you to open that up. There's some message notes in there that you can follow along with. If you're a guest, you can go to lpguest.com and uh, you can find the message notes in there as well. And uh, when I think about a wide open world, it really is, right? Like two or three years ago, you wouldn't have really said that because of things that were happening. But now the world is open again. Uh, just even here at LifePoint, within the last seven to eight months, we've been able to send teams to India and Malawi. We heard amazing testimony last week, right, from Yohani and Amy Gardner, what God is doing there. We've been to Nepal recently, to Argentina and to Spain. We actually have another team leaving for Nepal in July. I have two spots for that. If you're interested, hit me up afterwards. We'll love to connect you with that. We also just locally here have opportunities, right? We all have neighbors. We have coworkers. Uh, we've got friends on our ball teams that our children play on. It's a wide open world in need of the gospel. And there's, a, there's this idea that people need hope. They need grace and truth. They need love and forgiveness. And as I think about that, one of the things that always comes to my head when I think about God's faithfulness is in the Old Testament is the Israelites, right? Where God leads the people out. Does that come to your mind when you think about faithfulness? Just how, again, how God opened up this ocean and he allowed the Israelites to go through on dry ground. And then all of a sudden the waters collapse and they just destroys the, the Egyptians that are following them. How God provided manna for them every single morning when they woke up, there was food. How he led them by a cloud during the day and led them by fire at night. Uh, just an incredibly faithful God, right? And yet, and yet, the Israelites continue to fail. They want to do their own thing, right? They're like, ah, you know, okay, God's, God is good. But it just seems like that, right? They want to do kind of things their own way. And there's this cycle that happens, right, where we make a promise, then there's this regret and remorse, then there's this resolution, and then it just repeats itself. I, I was, as I was thinking about this, you know what this is? This is camp. Any of you ever go to camp when you were younger, right? This is me, man. Like every summer I would go to, I see, I know Andrew's out there. He's taking students to camp. Every summer I'd go to camp, right? And camp's just awesome. And man, you leave that fourth day, fifth day, you're like, I'm living for Jesus. And, and I, I was probably baptized like 15 times when I was a teenager, like every summer, right? It's like, not really, but literally every summer you're like, man, I'm going to make this commitment. I'm going to love Jesus. I'm going to follow after him. And then that lasts for about two or three weeks, right? You're reading your Bible, and then reality sets in. Something happens. There's this regret. God, why did I do that? I'm so sorry. Man, I need forgiveness. And you ask for forgiveness. And God, I promise I'm never going to do that again. And it's just a cycle, and it just repeats itself. And that's what happens in the book of Judges. So if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to turn to Judges chapter 4. What we're going to see, if you read the whole book of Judges, which we're not today, i spare you that, but it's a great book. Let me encourage you to go back and check it out. But time and again, Israel just falls into sin. And over and over, God sends someone, 12 judges, in fact, to rescue his people. And as you're flipping there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little bit from Judges chapter 1 just to kind of set the stage. Again, this is right after Joshua leads the people into the promised land, right? Moses starts that process. Moses dies. Joshua comes in. He leads the people in Israel. And in Judges 1, it says, after the death of Joshua... The people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And what we see in chapter 1, over and over, like in verse 27, 29, 30, 31, 33, is this, this sentence. They did not drive out the inhabitants. They did not drive out the inhabitants. God said to drive out the inhabitants so that they can overcome the land. And they don't do that. And what happens in verse, chapter 2, verse 3, it says, So now, because you have not driven them out, 
They will become thorns in your sides. They will become a snare to you. And what happens in verse 10, one of the saddest verses in my opinion in the Bible, it says this, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So what happens is the, the people, as they continue to fall away, then there's this generation behind them that doesn't know what God has done for them. And in chapter 4, verse 1, this is where we're going to pick up the story of Deborah and Barak. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And you're going to see this, this word again, over and over. And after Ehu died, verse 2, And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in the Horbesh Hagom, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. When you think about 900 chariots of iron, don't think about a chariot from like a king and queen, you know, this beautiful thing that they're walking in this wooden. This is like a tank, right? So think of that as a tank. This is going to be important as we're working through this for later. Verse 4, now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife, of, I wish you could say all these words with me, Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. Verse 6, she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinam, from Kadesh Napal, something like that, and said to him, has the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go. Gather your men at Mount Tabor, making, taking 10,000 people from Nepali and the people of Zebulun. Listen, two imperatives right here, right? Two imperatives that Deborah gives to Barak. What does she say? Go and gather your men. Deploy, if you will. Go and gather your men. God is calling him to go, and he has determined the strategy, right? Verse 7, if it says, I will draw out Sisera and I will give him into your hand. He's already promising his support to Barak, right? I want, we'll come back to this story, but does this remind you of a passage maybe in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 20? Johanni referenced this last week. We refer to it a lot of times as the Great Commission. Jesus said to them what? Go and make disciples of all nations, right? It's the same imperative. It's the same idea that we have to just trust God. So in verse 6 and 7 that we just read, he said, I will draw out Sisera and bring him into your hands. And in verse 8, it says, Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So what should have happened is we should have read verse 6 and 7 where God says, go. That's an imperative. As you're going, then he should have went. But instead, he says, Deborah, I'll go if you go. If you don't go, I'm not going. What is it? He's afraid. Does that sound familiar? Right? We're, we're all fearful. Are we not? Has there ever been a time in your life that God has asked you to do something and you didn't do it because you were afraid? Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 18. And we're going to look at one sentence there with profound implications. Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. It says this, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. Will you say that with me? Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, 
and do not be silent. Listen, as believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we have to boldly proclaim the gospel, right? So it begs the question, why don't we? And I think one of the obvious reasons is fear. Again, we see that in Judges chapter 4. When you think back to the time, if I could set the stage for you, uh, this is, a, this is a, a time where people are just deathly afraid, right? Again, Sisera, they're like, they take the back roads to get where they need to go. They're ducking, they're dodging, they're trying to stay away from everything because Sisera and his 900 chariots of iron are just destroying people. They're just wiping them out. And, and Barak is told to go. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm scared, Deborah. I'm, I don't know if this is the right thing to do. And he has a choice he has to make. Is he going to go or is he not going to go? And it's that same choice for us. Are we going to go and tell people about Jesus or are we not? Are we going to find God's faithfulness or are we not? And so that's the first thing I want us to see this morning, that if God is faithful, then we don't have to be afraid. Right? Paul said in, in, in Acts, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Fear in its simplest form is a temporary loss of perspective. Fear in its simplest form is a temporary loss of perspective. See, it's easy to focus on how someone might respond to me rather than remembering what Jesus has done for them, right? If there's this idea that we forget how much Christ has done for us and how much he desires a relationship with us. Uh, let, me, let me see if I can put this in perspective. I, my wife, Rebecca, and our three kids, we love going to New York City. I don't know if you've ever been there, if you've seen pictures, but New York's a phenomenal place, right? But all these skyscrapers, Empire State Building, all these tall buildings. And, and listen, you can always tell who the visitors are in New York City, right? Because they walk around like this. They're, just, they're always just looking up like, wow, wow, that's amazing. It's so tall. Wow. But you can always tell who the homebodies are, right? Because they do what? They walk around like this. They don't ever look up. And they just run into you. And they hit you. And they don't care, right? Because they're used to it. They've seen it all. And I think that's what he's talking about. We've lost what the perspective is that Jesus died for us. We should constantly be in awe of who God is of what he has done and the importance of sharing that with other people, right? And so it begs this question, where are you afraid to share the gospel? Is it at work? Is it at home? Is it in school? Is it on the playground? How many times have you regretted not sharing the gospel? How many times have you left a job and looked back and thought, man, I missed this opportunity or that opportunity? Do you know your neighbors? Better yet, do your neighbors know you? Listen, I'm not saying that you have to share the gospel with them every time that you see them, but they should at least hear it from you, right? Maybe that's inviting them to church. There's opportunities here. If you have children, man, LifePoint Kids is one of the best in the world. I can say that because I work here. No, because it's true. It's true, right? It's true. It's one of the big draws from here. Listen, there are opportunities all around us. Maybe, maybe there's a barista at a coffee shop that you frequent every week. Do they know that you love Jesus? There's opportunities all around us. Um, so it's not wrong to be afraid, right? Or is it? No, it's not. One of our teaching pastors said it this way, and I love it. Paul Pretty. He said, you, we can't allow fear from the past to get in the way of obedience in the present. That's good. That's good. Romans 15, 20, Paul said it like this. My aim is to evangelize where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation but as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. 
Listen, we're privileged this morning to have a friend of mine, Mr. Jorge Altiera. I'm going to ask Jorge to make his way up here. Uh, Jorge and his family, uh, his wife Jerica, and their two boys who are here this morning, thank you all for being here. Uh, they moved to Columbus just over a year ago, and uh, Jorge serves as our regional champion for the North American Mission Board and the SEN Network Espanol. Right? And that, so that he see, oversees all of the Hispanic churches in Ohio, Michigan, and Indiana. And uh, so all the new churches, all the church planners. And so I've asked Jorge to come share a little bit about what God's doing in Espanol Send Network and how we can support that and how we can pray for you. Brother, thanks for being here this morning. in planting Hispanic churches and the reason we are doing so is the demographic projections we're trying to stay ahead of the curve. So Send Network Español is going to help our Hispanic churches but it's also going to help other Anglo churches um, in our state conventions to be able to plan, identify, recruit, develop, train, and send Hispanic pastors so that we can uh, share the gospel with the increasing uh, Hispanic community church that is growing here in the nation. So one of the main things that we're doing 
to better equip our Hispanic uh, candidates, our Hispanic planters and pastors, is that we're establishing uh, church planting residencies in Spanish so that all of the people that God has called um, to preach the gospel and reach our Hispanic communities, they could receive the proper biblical training so that we could send them out on the mission field better equipped so that they could fulfill the great commission of preaching the gospel and making disciples. But we also wanna see our Hispanic churches plant other Hispanic churches. We are grateful for the support that a lot of our, a lot of our Anglo churches have given the Hispanic community for the past 50, 60 years, but we also wanna be able to train our Hispanic pastors and Hispanic churches to be able to plant other Hispanic churches from within. So we have a team of regional leaders that are spread out throughout the nation um, that are able to serve our state conventions uh, with the North American Mission Board. And I get the opportunity to serve the Ohio Valley uh, region uh, here in Ohio, Michigan, and Indiana. So we have around 10 Hispanic churches that are part of the state convention here in Ohio, but we have over 500,000 Hispanics that are here in the state of Ohio. So 10 churches is not enough. We need more. And for that, San Network Español is going to be helping, our, helping out our Hispanic churches in the state convention, but we're also going to be working with some of our Anglo-established churches to partner in kingdom work so that we could plant additional Hispanic churches here in the state of Ohio. So after the service is done, if any of you have any questions, um, want to have any more conversations about some of the work that we're doing, I'm going to be here available um, just to be able to share uh, what the Lord has been doing here in the Ohio Valley region. So we're living here in Columbus right now. I will ask for your prayers as we're looking for a place to finally, you know, move. Uh, we sold our house in Delaware. We're in the process of buying something here in Ohio. So that the Lord can guide us. We want to be able to be at a place strategically where we could serve our Ohio Valley region and help, and help our Hispanic uh, churches to plant more Hispanic churches. So God bless you. Thank you, brother. All right, I appreciate you being here. So again, as you can see, there's opportunities all around us, right, to make this gospel known. And uh, let's, let's continue in this, in this passage uh, in Acts chapter 18. He says, do not be afraid. And he says what? But go on speaking and do not be silent. I want you to see this morning, the task is urgent. The task is urgent. There's a, been a study done by the Joshua Project. It's a missions research company, and they estimate that there are about 3 billion, with a B, 3 billion people who are unreached. Unreached. That means as things stand right now, they have no real chance to hear the gospel before they die. Listen, I'm not talking about your neighbors that you say don't know Jesus or the coworkers that you have that don't know Jesus. Those people are, un are not unreached. They have you. I'm talking about people in India and Nepal and the villages that we've gone to where they have no access to the gospel, where they don't know who Jesus is. They don't know what a Bible is. Three billion people. They say that if you line these people up five across, they would circle the globe five times. And yet here we sit under the gospel privilege every week, right? You can turn on the TV or the radio or listen to a bazillion different podcasts. Picture in your mind five people across, that many people just marching to destruction with no chance 
to hear the truth. And I want to reflect on that this morning. I want you to think, right? I want you to think those are people that were made in the image of God. Those are people with the same emotions as you. Those are people that look just like you, that feel just like you, that get lonely just like you, that love their children just like you do, who going to hell would be every bit the tragedy that it would be for you. Don't turn them into a statistic, right? Think of them as an individual that they are, right? When you do that, you see someone face to face, you, you visualize that, then you see somebody like you, right? Somebody who's made in the image of God. But if you turn them into a number, then they just become a demographic problem. We don't have a demographic problem. We've got a people problem. People that need Jesus. People that are no less worthy of the gospel than you were before you heard it. And, and just as it is right now, we, we have to share that good news with people. In Romans chapter 10, Paul said this in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, he said, how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they have not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news of the gospel. This is not something we should have to pray about, right? As a follower of Christ, we are called to make disciples. We are called to make Jesus known around the world. We don't have to ask God what his will is for our lives. We must go on speaking and not be silent. Imagine with me for a moment you're walking through town today and you saw a child on the railroad tracks and they were disoriented or stuck. You don't have to think in that moment what you're going to do. Do you? You don't have to get down on your knees. God, what is your what? No, you're going to do everything in your power to save that child. You're going to run out there. You're going to yell and make noise. You're going to find all the help that you can get to make sure that that child gets off the railroad track. Listen, we have the greatest news in all the world. Jesus Christ died for us. God so loved the world that he sent his son that we could have eternal life. That's the greatest news in all the world. Christmas is the greatest news in all the world. Today, in the city of David, a what a Savior has been born for all the world. This is not an option for us. We have got to share. When you look back at Judges chapter 4 and 5, Barak makes the right decision. I'll ruin the story for you. He makes the right decision. But when you think about the story, it really had nothing to do with Barak. Right? Look back with me in Judges chapter 4. Verse, whoa, don't lose those. Verses 12, it says this. He says, When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 of them, and they went before him to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up! Charge! Go! For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. And he goes. What we find out in Romans, or excuse me, in Judges chapter 5 is how this actually takes place. Right? This, is the, this is the dry season. There's no rain at this point. Right? Sisera would know this. He would know that this river is basically dry. Right? And that's why he takes these 900 chariots of iron. And as they're coming into, coming into the river, what happens? It starts to rain. Oh, that's an accident. That's not an accident. That's God's faithfulness, right? It just starts to rain and the water floods. And what happens to these 900 tanks? They get stuck. And Barrett comes down and he just wipes them out. He destroys them. Sisera actually gets away. I would encourage you to read the rest of the story because it's really, 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 really cool, but it's really gross. So I'm not going to share it with you. But it's really neat what happens. But God is faithful. 
right? And we don't have to play, we don't have to do anything except what? Be available. Available. We heard this last week. God does not want your ability. He wants your availability. Listen, God promises two things for us as we wrap up today. Number one, he promises his protection and his presence. And number two, he promises to produce. He said, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. You know that the Bible says 365 times in some form, do not be afraid. 365 times. Joshua 1.9 says, I have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread, for the Lord is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13.6 6 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that was with them is the same God that is with us. We do not have to fear. Right? Romans chapter 8, this is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, no power, no height, no depth, Nothing, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For Paul, knowing Jesus was enough. It was satisfying, right? It was encouraging. Nothing could be more fit to cheer his spirit. Jesus was with him, approving him, supporting him, defending him, and this was a safeguard against his fear. And so not only does God provide his protection and his presence, but God promises to produce. He said, for many in this city who are my people. This indicates that there are many in Corinth who are going to come to faith in Christ, right? There are many all over this world that need Jesus. There are many in this city, Lewis Center, Powell, Ohio, the nations that need Jesus. Listen, you may not know where God is going to send you, but I can promise you that he has you where you are right now for a reason. And that's to live sent to the people in your life. Right? God has you here for a reason. It's not by accident. So be obedient to what God has called you to do. Don't fail in your life. Don't fail at your post. There are many in this city who need Jesus. The urgency of the mission requires something from all of us. The urgency of the mission requires something from all of us. Think of it like this. Think of it as, as time and treasure, your time and your treasure, or I like to call it goers and senders. Right? And I think we all play a part in this. And so it begs the question, which, which one are you? Are you a goer or are you a sender? Or maybe even both, right? A goer. We need people to leverage their life for the gospel. We need people who would say, man, I just graduated with a business degree and I can do that same thing that I could do here in Columbus. I can do that in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Man, I just finished my nursing degree and you're, maybe you've been doing nursing for a while and you could do that same thing in Africa. You could do that same thing in India. We need people to leverage their lives for the gospel. There's no greater calling on that. We've been fortunate here, even at LifePoint, we've got a family who, for security reasons, I can't tell you their name, but they left Columbus, Ohio, and moved to Spain. And they're telling people about Jesus there. And they're working with the Muslim people there, sharing with them the love of Christ. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's your family. And God would call you to go. 
and leave your career. Maybe you need to go on a short-term mission trip. I already shared, but we've been to Uganda and Malawi and Nepal and India. Again, another team leaving in July. There's opportunities for you to go on a short-term mission trip. There's opportunities for you as a life group to plug in, serve the city. We've got awesome serve the city partners, IFI, Stowe, Conway Prison Ministry. There's opportunities all around that you can get plugged in and serve. Heck, right now we're doing a, a simple thing with LifePoint Kids where we're collecting backpacks to provide backpacks for every student in Delaware. Schools, right? You can donate a backpack. If you don't know how to do that, you can go to Guest Central. You can pick up a little card. There's a QR code on it. Scan the QR code. It takes you right to the page with all the backpacks. Choose as many as you want and have them sent right to United Way. You don't even have to, you don't have to pick them up or do anything. They'll send them right there. If you want to bring them in, there's some opportunity to place them out in the lobby as you go. We have opportunities right here, right now to plug in. Maybe you're not able to go. I get it. I get it. Everybody's not going to be able to go. Maybe you're a sender. Right? We need people to send people out. Next, next week, June 4th through the 10th, we're going to take up an offering. We call it the WOW offering. 100% of that offering is going to fund every missions effort that we do as a church for the following year. You know, we sent 84 people on mission last year across five continents. We saw over 400 people come to faith in Christ because of those teams. And we want to do more. We want to send over 150 people next year to go on mission to those same five continents and then even a couple of more. We want to send out families, maybe another couple of families that want to do what those couples did in Spain, that want to go. We want to be able to fund that. And maybe God has blessed you with the means to do that. And I would challenge you and encourage you to pray through what you would give so that you can help send those people into the world. You know, think back to that passage in Romans chapter 10. It didn't say, how are they going to hear unless they go? It says, how will they hear unless they are sent? Paul recognized the urgency of the whole entire church to be a part of this process. And the urgency of the mission requires something from all of us. Here in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to have the opportunity to celebrate with some people who have put their faith and trust in Christ and are following through in obedience to baptism. And what an awesome celebration that we have. And wouldn't it be awesome to be able to celebrate even more of those? Listen, for some of you today, you need a Deborah in your life. Can I be that for you? Can I push you? Deborah had to push Barak, right? She had to say, get out, go, up. Church, get up, go. I promise you won't be disappointed in what God will do because he is faithful. Ultimately, we can all pray, right? Dean challenged us last week that, that we would be able to have a God conversation during this series. I want to up that and say, I pray that we'll have a God conversation this week, right? We've been praying over the course of the last year, Luke 10, 2. I don't know how many people still do that. I still pray at 10, 02, right? And, and it says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into the harvest field. We need people to go. First Timothy 2, God desires that all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Let's pray together. Father, what a joy and a privilege and an honor it is to serve you, to worship you, 
God, the task is urgent. God, there are many in this city who need Jesus all over the world. God, I pray that you'd give us the boldness to share so that we can see more people like we're going to see here get baptized, that we can see more people come into the kingdom of God. God, we're grateful for your faithfulness. Lord, may we just be obedient. May we make ourselves available today to share and show the love of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.